Today, we have a powerhouse of a guest. It's Nick Thacker, Vice President of Draft Digital, and probably the only person I'm aware of who has the equivalent understanding of how to advertise on social media platforms that Steve Piper does in Ammo. In fact, there's a fun little anecdote inside of this podcast you'll look forward to listening to about how Nick joined Ammo and why he's part of the program and what he and Steve have collaborated on together. So I'm really excited for you to hear that. There is so much information in this podcast that you can take away and use in your own marketing and advertising. I want to encourage you to fully dial in and hear this one through. And of course, because this is how life rolls, Nick was having some audio issues. And so despite my best efforts getting the raw recorded file from Nick and putting it into this podcast and doing everything I could to salvage the the sound quality, you're going to notice that this isn't the best, crispest interview in terms of just sound quality that I've had before. I listen to it uh, extensively and everything is completely understandable. It's it's not a lost cause, but I just wanted to maybe buffer your intro into the episode and let you know that the audio quality is less than my normal standards. It couldn't be helped. And this was just too good of a conversation to try to do it over again in better uh, environments. So please enjoy now my conversation with Nick Thacker. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. I do have some nonfiction uh, on the author side, but I am a thriller author, first and foremost. I write action-adventure thrillers, kind of in the vein of Clive Cussler, James Rollins, uh, Matt Riley. Awesome. Okay, what what got you into writing? Uh, I love this story. I um, I had a, a granddad who passed away, and he and my dad and I used to all swap paperbacks. And, oh, cool. You know, thrillers, Michael Crichton, Dan Brown, that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, how hard could this be? I'm going to try writing my own novel and uh, we'll just see if I can get this done. And I think, I mean, it was well, and I mean, it was well into adulthood. I, I didn't want to, I hated writing growing up. And so this was probably when I was 22, 23, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so it was later, I feel like it was later in, into the writing game than everyone else. But I uh, found out very quickly that it, it's not as easy as it seemed. It was a little harder than it seemed. And I actually stopped in the middle of that first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, got stuck in the muddy middle, as we say. And I, I, I closed my computer and I looked at my wife and I said, this is really challenging. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever written any books on how to write fiction. That's how naive yeah. I was. I had yeah. no idea. I had yeah. no idea that this was like a whole, a whole thing that people do. Yeah. Um, so I took a, took a few months and, and read and consumed a bunch of books on how to do it just to try to get through that first book because I wanted to give it to my dad for Christmas. Yeah. And, uh, and I did, it was terrible, but I gave it to him. He loved it, of course. And, uh, I thought, well, that was great. I, I wrote a book. I'll never do that again. But all the ideas that I couldn't fit into that first book were nagging at me. They were still there. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to write about that little thing or this little yeah. thing or this piece of science that I discovered. 
And here we are 40 books later and I'm still going. What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm gonna tell you, it's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goom-bahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Wow. Okay. Hopefully I've improved a little bit since that first one, but yeah, 40, 40 books. That's wild. How many books are you writing a year then? Well, I, uh, when I'm, cause you just, don't look like you're 60, you don't look like you're 62. So I'm doing no. the math here. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, some of those are, are co-written novels. Um, I would say maybe half are, are, right. um, uh, co-written or written. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, they're written by me, but they're shorter. Like they're, they're maybe that sure. full length thriller would be 80,000. Some of them are uh, 40, 50,000 because I was going to do serialized stuff. So there's, yeah. depending on how you define full-length novel, um, if I were just writing, and of course, that's the dream. I'm not doing marketing. I'm teaching authors things and coaching, and I work for drafted it. So there's all kinds of stuff that's taking me away from writing. Yeah. But I had a goal of writing 23 books in 2023. Oh, year. my goodness. Uh, I am three books into it. So we've got okay. a few to go to see if we yeah. get there. Okay. <laughs> yep, you do. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was just doing the fiction thing before Drafted Digital and before I, I was really heavily investing in the, in the nonfiction stuff, um, I think I was doing probably about 10 a year. Wow. That's wild. Okay. Yep. So everybody writes at different paces. I, I, I remember having Naomi on the, the podcast, um, Naomi Rawlings. So for the Ammo Insiders, she's kind of one of the the big people or big names in the group that helps out a lot. And um, is I don't know if you'd call her Steve's right-hand person or not, but she definitely is involved. When she was on, she's she's like, you know, I I, I try to do two a year. She feels like two a year is good. Sure. Um, sure. I have I have bounced all over the place about what I think I want to write, what I think I'm capable of writing in a year. I can firmly say I don't suspect that I am a 10 book a year kind of person. Um, I wrote uh, one book. I'm finished with a second. I think I will get the third one done uh, at least 
in its kind of final draft version by the end of the year. So that's probably three a year. Um, I might be able to go as high as four a year because I, I wasn't quite as serious about this at the beginning of, of the year. But uh, beyond four, I feel like I would start to sacrifice some of the things that I'm attempting to do with my fiction. But the problem is every time I say this, listen, every time I say this, I have this idea. I came from the Masters of Fine Arts culture. So I got I got my master's mm-hmm. degree in fiction writing and more than a book a year is is absurd as far as they're thinking, like they're thinking, sit on a book for five years and, and make sure that Sigmund Freud would be proud of you. And, and there's yes. just, and you know, you're kind of like, I, I understand both sides. I'm sympathetic to, to the, the bodice rippers where you can write 27 books in a year. And I'm sympathetic yeah. to uh, the, the highest art literary fiction. Uh, so with all of that in mind, I just want to ask you, what are your thought processes? I know you have to have thought this through before. Uh, what? How did you come to where you're at, where you think 10 is a good number and it, it works for you? Well, you know, the, 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 the author coach in me can't help but but pause here and just to, to piggyback on what you were saying earlier. It's important to mention, anyone listening to this, no matter what where you are in your career, new book, never written, having written 10 books, whatever, to recognize that most people never write any books. Very good. Uh, so yes. it's it's yep. incredible to celebrate this victory that we have called finishing the damn book. Like that's really yeah. really cool, and you, you whoever you are should be very proud of that because um, that's a very real tangible thing. I have two yeah. secrets to how how I write so quickly. One, um, I write really poorly, uh, which is awesome because I can just publish a first draft. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, the real secret is I dictate. Um, I am always talking into my handheld recorder and transcribing it later, and then running it through ChatGPT. There's a whole thing on how I do it. But uh, yep. that's my big secret for how I, how I write quickly. What I've gotten to, to answer your question, what I've, what I've learned over the years is that I am not the kind of guy who can just write all day, every day, um, yeah. take an eight hour work day. I can't spend that time writing. I wish I could mm-hmm. because all this, I wouldn't have to do all the other stuff on the side. You know, I could just write books and be happy doing it. Um, I learned that the hard way with crippling anxiety and panic attacks and wanting to kill myself after I huh. left my full-time job. Okay. Really realizing, oh shit! I don't know. This isn't what I signed up for. Interesting. Right? The, okay. the argument I had with myself was, well, hey, I'm spending some of my day, you know, working yeah. for this church, but then I'm, I'm sort of stealing that sort of I'm stealing time from them to try to write these books. I'm, I'm going to a coffee shop and writing for two hours, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe not every day, but but the thought process I had was, if I left this day job and wrote full time, I just multiplied how many hours I was doing with how many you know I could potentially uh-huh. write. Yeah. And, oh, I can write fifty books a year. That's easy. I could just write all day. Yeah. I learned the hard way and I hope nobody has to go through that to learn that. But, you know, we're all different and we're all capable of writing for only a certain amount of time before fatigue sets in uh, yeah. or we just, our brains are wired. We have to do something different. So I have learned over the years that um, a good pace for me uh, with fiction, with where I am now, not changing anything about my career um, on the, on the author help side, uh, if you would call it that nonfiction side is probably five to six thrillers written by me solely by me so yeah. i could add a couple more with you know co-writers a lot of times i'll have them do the first draft so i can add in a couple more with some you know caveats sure. um but that's that's just that's kind of the way my speed you know i i don't uh, i was joking when i said i write poorly but i do think that um you know i'm a music guy i have a music degree um i know what it means to practice and practice and practice and get better and better and better but i also am a marketing yeah. guy and i know what an, uh, an mvp is um, minimum viable product. And I believe I, I'm, I'm ready to let go of my book and put it out in the world sooner than somebody who you know has a perfectionist bank, right? 
Interesting. Yeah. There's so much to to dive into here. Um, yeah, let's talk, let's, let's do, let's talk more about that right now. Um, in terms of, uh, the minimum viable product, uh, what kind of readership would you, okay. So, so there's two, there's two schools of thoughts and I'm going to forget the guy's name right now because I obviously I need it. And so it won't come to me, but, um, he was kind of one of the first big indie authors, uh, out there and writes thrillers as well. And he basically said, I used to spend all my time getting everything to an A plus when I realized that like at a B people were really enjoying me. Um, people were enjoying what I was doing. Uh, and I, I, I guess I wonder for myself sometimes, do you think you're losing some readers by putting out a minimum viable product or a B? Um, and does that bother you at all? I don't. I don't think I'm losing readers. Uh, first of okay. all, it's really impossible to, to tell. Um, there's, again, like you said, there's so much to unpack here. And yeah. what I'm what I'm not saying is I think subpar books should be released into the world. What I am saying is we treat our books like they're our babies and we would never want to push our baby out, you know, unprepared to the, to the real world, right? Anyone with kids knows that. Uh, anyone without kids can guess that. And the thing is, books aren't our babies. They're our products and they're what we're selling and they're what we're providing the world in terms of entertainment value. And there is absolutely a level at which my books need to be considered good before I'm going to let somebody read it. But what I consider good is most of the time and what you and any other reader or writer considers their their bar is probably somewhere north of where the average reader of that that genre would would say is good right so what i'm saying is like we we think well it's this is my book it needs to be as as perfect as possible and that may be true because we don't want to release subpar books but we forget that you know we're looking at this like it's it's representative of who we are as a person where the average reader is coming along and just reading it because they want something good and they don't care if we didn't put our blood, sweat, and tears into it, if we didn't put everything we had into it, if um, if they, you know, if 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 we secretly know that we could have done more with it, they'll never know that. They're never gonna they're, they're, they can guess, but they they're never gonna know. And so it's not worth the 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 blood, sweat, and tears of of panicking yeah. about how perfect I could make this thing. Um, I would much rather release it. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, again, I'm talking, I've already edited the thing. I've already run it through 200 beta right. readers. I, I've got a thing called the gauntlet. Like it's a good book at this point. I'm right. not saying that I'm releasing subpar yeah. crap. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's so hard because that is the natural inclination we have as artists, as yeah. creators. We, we want our stuff to be as good as possible. We should, that's the whole point of it, but we can't get hung up on that. If yeah. we're trying to build a career out of it. You absolutely can go the MFA route and write one book in your lifetime and have it be the most perfect thing ever. But that's not the career we're talking about, right? Like that's a whole yeah. different way to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, and then there's, there's, um, there's obviously uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, I don't think that we even have to talk about Go Set a Watchman. Right. Right. You know, yeah. But, uh, I, you know, Harper Lee wrote a great book and she was wealthy for her entire life because of that book. And it, it hit uh, the zeitgeist and it just stayed forever. It's yeah. the most, it probably is the greatest book ever written, um, or at least written in modern history because it touches everybody who reads it uh, in, sure. in such a profound way. But right, you're, I agree with you. Um, I don't want to be that writer from the MFA. I've, I've, I've uh, done many, many ceremonial cleansings and, and, and bowed down at all of the altars of destroy the MFA out of my heart. And I've done everything <laughs> I can to, to get rid of it. I, I was secretly reading Stephen King during my MFA and I couldn't tell yeah. my professors because I just, I yeah. adored his work, but my professors thought that he was a terrible writer. 
Um, so I asked that question a little bit more, I think, for some of the listeners here who are impatient. Um, I think that there is a sense when you're when you're early on, maybe you have two books out there, uh, and we're going to get into this a little bit later in the conversation, but you want to join something like Ammo. You hear Steve say, oh, you can't really be profitable with fewer than three books and honestly, four books if you really want to have a good shot at making money on your writing. So with all of those things, there may be people who are willing to throw something out there and cut some corners and be like, well, it's a it's a freaking ripping story. I know that. And so I'm just going to go ahead and hit publish and throw it in the package and see what happens. And I think that you can do damage to your career by uh, your definition of a B. And so that's a big reason why I wanted to ask you that question or uh, minimum viable product. Um, I think so it's a I, great question, man. And just to, yeah. I know I know we want to move on and I apologize. I just... I love I love the question and I love your thoughts on it because it's yeah. so important to, to hear these different perspectives. What I'm hoping the, the the listener, the watcher can glean from all this is that you just have to know what your genre expects as good. Uh, and, yeah. and and you have to have the drive toward great every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a newer author is going to have a harder time with that because they don't know what yeah. the genre expects to be good. Like they've read in the genre, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and that sets the bar for us. But um, until you do it, until you get the reps, it's really challenging to um, to, to tell, hey, is, is this going to work or not? And yep. you only get that through reps, right? Um, or yep. you get lucky or you get it through reps. And that's what I'm what I'm really getting at is we're building sandcastles yep. here, you know, um, yep. and we're just we're just trying to focus on the next sandcastle. Like we know that the tribe's going to come in and it's all going to go away. We're going to start over tomorrow. That's mm. what we're doing. And you have to love the process of building the sandcastle. Yeah. Not, I got to build the best sandcastle that's going to last forever. Um, you could get lucky and that sandcastle could stay there forever, but most of the time you're going to do it and you're going to think it's the best thing ever. And you're going to be disappointed because it goes away the next day. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's so, a really good point. I mean, I hear a guy I've reps. been listening to a lot named Alex Hermosi. He's a really good businessman and I like his ph- philosophical outlook yeah, on business. Alex. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot about, he's like, you don't, you don't even know the best writers in a different country. You don't even know the best writers, uh, movie stars from other countries. So what makes Isn't you think wild? you're going to have a legacy? Absolutely. This idea of legacy yeah. is, is total BS. Um, and so, yeah, you, that's, that's where I, I stop being precious about things. The other thing I will say, and then we, we do move on, but, um, everybody who listens to the show knows I took five years to write the nine lives of Marvin long high. I didn't mean for it to be the start of a series for me. Um, and I would say almost universally people have said, oh, I like the eight ball magic of Susie Q better. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I spent three months writing that book uh, and yeah. had it fully edited and published in five <laughs> months. So um, my best-selling book I wrote in a single day. Yeah. Right. I it's, dictated 80,000 words as a test. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's in, one of my best books. Yeah. Yeah. So time does not matter. In fact, uh, they've done research studies now. I've, I've mentioned this before as well, uh, but volume always beats um like rehashing. So, so when you give somebody, you're like, Hey, I'm going to grade you on one product this entire semester. Um, yeah. and one, one group is is set to make one project, make it the best you can. And then this other group is set to make a project a day. And I'm going to yeah. grade you by your final project. And every time yeah. people who do volume do better work. So I remember um, that study. That's so fascinating. And it's so true. Yeah. And it's really gels with my philosophy. So yeah. It was easy for me to adopt. And because, because of things we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so moving on, um, you wrote, you've written forty books. Uh, you are part of Ammo, so and and you said you have a marketing background. I'm kind of curious, what were the circumstances of finding Ammo? Let's start there. What 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 circumstances? You probably saw an ad on Facebook, is my guess. 
No, actually, uh, no? whisperings. Okay. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh-huh. I'm pretty, uh, you know, pretty well, I think I'm pretty well in tune with the indie community. Um, I'm vice president of draft the digital. Like I, I go to all the conferences. I, I know people that know Steve, um, and, uh, and know the program. And I kept hearing, Hey, this is really cool. You should check this out. Uh, I had breakfast with Joanna Penn, for example, to just continue the name dropping session. Yeah. She was like, Oh, you got to check out Steve stuff. And I said, okay, great. You know, I wasn't in a position where I, um, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want this. I'm going to have that. I'm just going to say it and it'll sound the way it sounds. I wasn't going to buy the course. I just hmm. wasn't ready to, I already do direct sales. I've already mm-hmm. been doing direct sales for years. Like I said, I've got a marketing background, uh, web developer background. Um, I can do that kind of stuff technically in my, you know, very easy for me. Um, I love the different perspectives of anyone kind of teaching this stuff. And I was thinking about doing a course of my own uh, a while ago. But I wanted to put together, um, and, I, and I haven't really formalized what this is going to look like, whether it'll be on behalf of Draft to Digital or if it's just going to be something that I do on my own. Um, but I wanted to put together like kind of a, a roadmap for indie authors, you know, navigating this journey called becoming a self-published author, a full-time mm. author, whatever you want to call your career. And I, I wanted to do it thoroughly. You know, I, I know Mark Dawson is a friend of mine. I, I'm in, enrolled in his programs, um, Organa Bass, like all these people that are doing similar things in, in terms of teaching authors things all of them are doing incredible work and i wanted to know if steve is doing that same sort of work if he's doing something totally different if it if it's aligned with sort of my philosophy on this whole thing if it's not and if it's not great like there's a, there's a new perspective that i need to learn so yeah. i reached out to steve and I, I asked him for access i said i'll trade you i've got my courses of my own and i'll give you access to all my stuff uh w- would you be okay with that and i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna poke around and stuff and, uh, and see what it's all about. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. It sounds good. And um, it's a lesson in mark, you know, in, uh, in, in business, right? It's, you always yeah. ask, the worst they can say is no. Um, yeah. I said, hey, listen, you know, I, I, I'm not, uh, I, don't, I don't even have time to really go through all this very in depth and, and kind of put it into play your, your way or whatever. I've got my own engine I'm kind of running over here. Would you be okay with me just poking around seeing quality and stuff? I'd love to trade you with yeah. anything that I've got is yours. Uh, just like, let's be friends. Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick-and-mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard getting your books in stores is next to impossible. That's no longer the case. For just $5 you'll receive a lifetime membership to the Self-Published Author Co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book, or you're selling thousands of copies a month, If you don't have your books in bookstores, the Self-Published Author Co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now. We, so we're planning on getting our families together. Uh, you know, he's got a couple of public little kids and the same age as ours. And so, um, yeah, he's a, he's a friend of mine now. And, uh, I have been through the course though. So long story short, I have been through ammo. And I have clicked around and I have done a deep dive and I, 
gotta say, I was hooked. I mean, everything he's yeah. teaching, um, you know, there's always the, 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 the first, I don't know the guy, like, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, if he's trying to capitalize on any authors, um, that's always the easy test. The first test, you know, I, I, I want to see if he passed, obviously passed with flying colors. He's not out there to steal money or anything like that. Um, and he's an author, of course, of Lars Emmerich, like mm-hmm. obviously he's a good dude. But uh, when I got into the course, I was like, oh, he's, he's actually teaching like marketing data analysis. Like this is yes. like testing in survey science. Like this is real stuff that yeah. you don't get from just playing around with Facebook ads dashboard. Like right. he, he's, he's been in the weeds here. And of course he just says it on his Facebook ads that I've now yeah. seen, um, uh, you know, I've done ads for a hundred million dollar corporate, that kind of stuff. So yeah. uh, no, it's legit stuff. And I love the course. Um, as I said, kind of my disclaimer is I've already had my own thing going. So mm-hmm. I haven't adopted a whole lot um, from him specifically, but not because yeah. I don't agree with it just because I'm like, all right, well, I have to undo what I've done, test this sure. out. And, you know, and there was no reason to, because my, my kind of engine is working just fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I mean, it, it's good to hear that from you too, because I think that there are people who listen to this podcast and, and it's similar. You mentioned Mark Dawson. It's kind of like, oh, okay, well, James Blatch, I mean, of course he's going to talk up Mark Dawson's kind of whole system because like they're, they're in it together. And so it's always nice to hear from somebody who, who knows ammo, who also does other marketing stuff and, and just verifies like Steve's the real deal. I have, uh, I have referred a few people to this program um, and a couple of them just continue to be really upset that you have to pay for things like Clavio uh, or you have to pay for things like Unbounce. And I'm like, for one, those charges are by far the least amount of money you're going to spend on anything else in the program. You're going to spend so much money on ad dollars. Just get over it. Like ads are going to eclipse all of your subscriptions for the year in probably the first two weeks if you're really giving it your all. I mean, everybody's going to come on a different budget, but if you really want to make this thing work, you got to be willing to put some green in front of you and 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 go with confidence. Um, and, and so those things are, are kind of funny to me. It does open up a question for me, though. Talk to me a little bit about your process. Uh, are you sticking to Facebook? Do you use other platforms? If you use other platforms, which ones work for you? What would you say to somebody who wants to be adventurous and maybe uh, jump out into the wider world of of marketing on multiple platforms? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. I'll try to answer it as succinctly as possible because um, <laughs> I, I definitely, like I said, I teach this stuff. I'm, I'm absolutely not here to talk about any yeah. of my courses and stuff. Um, but I, I, um, I love marketing. I'd love talking about yeah. marketing. It's not scary to me like it is for a lot of indie authors. So I was blessed coming into this world um, of knowing, hey, like we wrote the book. Now I don't know what to do. Like that, that was never a big question mark for me. I was like, oh, well, you got to build a mailing list, right? Like that's obviously, and everyone was like, yeah. we, we don't know that. You know? So I believe marketing comes down to, for the successful indie author, there are three buckets we should all be doing. Advertising is absolutely one of them, as you said. Email marketing, as I kind of alluded to a second ago, and social media is just, that's what branding is today. Um, and, it, and, and it's definitely an indirect engine for sales, but it's something that if you come to me as an author and you're like, well, hey, I want to buy this billboard ad. Uh, I'm like, hey, great, that, that's a cool idea. Let's test it. Um, let me see your email marketing. Let me see your advertising. And let me see your social media marketing. I mean, if those aren't locked down, Take mm-hmm. that billboard money and put it in one of those three buckets and get that ready to go. Um, yeah. When it comes to advertising, I've used almost every platform you've heard of, all the way from Google Ads to TikTok to you know Pinterest to BookBub ads. And to be fair, I have not given all of them a fair test. You know, meaning sure. you know probably about ten thousand dollars of ad spend over a, a a case like you know 
testing cycle. Um, but what I have done is is learned that there's three big ones that work really well, at least for me. And yep. they're Amazon, AMS, or AMG, depending mm-hmm. on you know whatever platform you're on, AA, um, Facebook, obviously, and BookBub actually plays a role in some of my launches. Okay. Uh, sorry, some of my uh, promos. Um, now it depends on what I'm trying to do. And this is where it gets a little squishy because authors just want to have an engine where they put a dollar in and get $2 out. And mm-hmm. when you run the data at the end of five years of doing it, that may be what you end up with, but it doesn't ever yeah. feel like that when you're doing the work day in and day out to keep these ads yeah. running. Um, I have found that generally speaking, Facebook ads are where I want to spend the, the majority of my money yeah. uh, because I get to keep the data, right? I get to keep yeah. the people who come to my website. Um, I do use traffic ads rather than sales or conversion ads, right? Uh, which Steve talks about. Yeah. There's obviously a difference. We start with traffic to test and all that. I don't usually test that way, but I'm 10 years into my, you know, Facebook ads journey at this point. So I kind of yeah. tested a lot already. I'll just go ahead and pop for the, for the sales ads most of the time, but I still use traffic ads when I'm sending traffic to some other website like Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, they Absolutely. end up being cheaper, right? And they end up, I, I can't get the data anyway. So I don't want the, the conversion API ad. Because there's not, I'm not right. going to get anything from it. Yeah. So um, I generally will do that, and then when I'm launching a book, I will usually drop some 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 investment in the Amazon ad side um, and different iterations of that we talk about all day. And then for promos, I have found BookBub ads work really well. You know, once, yeah. once we've tested a cost per meal, a cost per thousand um, CPM impression, that kind of thing, uh, over on BookBub, which does take a, a whole different kind of mindset than the other two platforms, they end up working really well. For okay. promotional stuff, you know, you got a book that's ninety nine cents, certainly free, maybe even one ninety nine. That will do well on BookBub. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to promote a new release at full price, even two ninety nine, uh, you know, around that, people people aren't as responsive over them. Yeah, uh, they're used because they're used to deals, right? So those are those are the three ones. So three buckets of marketing, and within the advertising bucket, I can put those three platforms as my uh, my top. Yeah, I'm wading into uh, Pinterest right now. I'm going to see how Pinterest yeah. goes. Okay, um, that's what one, let me know because I haven't I haven't done it with as much testing over there. Yeah, one of the one of the reasons I decided to is I was at a, a book selling event. So I have I have a weakness. I really 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 like to sell paperbacks, even though they're mm. harder to be profitable on. I want people to hold my book. Um, yeah. It's like it's like that billboard for you. You know, if you can get enough people holding your book, if someone sees it on the subway, they're like, oh, what are you reading? I think that you yeah. just have those like natural word of mouth interactions more with a paperback than you will necessarily with headphones if you're listening to an audiobook or, you know, an e-reader. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I like that. And Pinterest, from what I understand, it probably is going to be better at moving um, paperbacks. If I can, if I can use the testing that I've done on Facebook, and if I can translate that into a usable information for Pinterest, that's the big question. The second thing that I really want, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because it's one area where ammo, I, I hate to say this, but ammo is lacking in one area, and the area is age control. It's really difficult to get Facebook to convert for me for a younger crowd, even though I'm writing 30-year-olds as the protagonist agonists and rated our stuff like this is i'm writing some pretty smutty stuff <laughs> not like sexual yeah. smutty but there's lots of violence sure. and sure. you know that kind of stuff and i would love for young people to read it because i feel like it would relate but i'm selling primarily yeah. to 55 and up uh, and yeah. i think that pinterest i have a chance of catching the college crowd um and maybe some some younger you know 40 and under type of people have you experienced any any ways to uh get the younger crowd involved because again word of mouth uh longer term customer all of those things that you would love about about that situation i think if you can get younger readers yeah i have um i also have a demographic that's 55 
plus, uh, mostly women. Well, that barely, yep. it's about 55% women. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, yeah, she's right. Asking, want another beer? I always want another beer. Um, <laughs> what I've discovered with Facebook, especially now, we started, and I say we, you know, the advertising industry started on Facebook when we first launched the platform. Everything was, let's get as granular as possible because we have granular data. Then they built an algorithm. I don't believe it was first. I believe they released their, their ad platform first and then their algorithm, what some people would just say the AI, the magic black box. Um, the algorithm was built later and they were pulling certain levers at Facebook to get certain data out of their black box. And they gave us those levers as advertisers. So early on, we had very interest-focused, granular demographic ability, right? Yeah. Um, over time, we've gotten less granular data. We're, we're unable to get as specific. Now, I know that yep. sounds counterintuitive, but think of it this way. And by way of example, Facebook doesn't let us target certain authors. Right. Like they never have in some cases, but in some cases, they've actually removed those authors from the platform. Mm. Um, in whole interests, they've just taken away. Yep. Um, certain movie series that you try to target are no longer there. It's not because they don't like us and they want us to fail. It's because their black box has so much data in there they don't know how to pull certain levers to get that out, but the magic black box algorithm does. And so we have seen broader interest working better. That is a very broad statement. I don't want anybody to go oh, home sure. and say, Nick said never to target anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying yeah. um, Facebook's really good at it. If you do your ad copyright, you know, your headline, your text, all that stuff, Facebook knows who you're trying to target and they'll go find yeah. them. And sometimes it works better than trying to give them an interest. Age is the same way. It knows generally because right. that's one of the first things that it makes sure you, you know, you're a human and then it makes sure you're not too young to be on Facebook. So right. it knows how old you are. Um, it's one of the first things that they get that's, that's actual data that we give it. And so it knows exactly who each person is visiting and what they're clicking on and what they'd like. That's a really long winded way of saying rather than trying to force target that mm -hmm. age group, I've heard and I've kind of, I've experienced, uh, uh, I haven't done a ton of age testing because, like I said, I know my demographic and I'm just I'm, I'm happy with it. it. Yeah, I think more people who are older are using Facebook rather than younger, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, but in order to target the younger people, what what I've I've seen work really well is to go about 20 years in either direction from your target age and set that yeah. as your as your range. So even if you're targeting somebody 25, you might go as as far as low as you can, you know, 18, um, yeah. and then go all the way up to like 35 or something, or even right. 40, um, and then just let your your ad copy act like SEO for that black box, you know, to right. say this is great for younger fans. This is great for ages thirteen through twenty five, or whatever the thing is, and just kind of let it train itself on your, yeah. on your ad. All that to say, though, Facebook may not even be the best platform, right? And that's know, you know, the, yeah, that's what I was curious about. Yeah. Snapchat, they're on WhatsApp. Yep. Like, there's these different things that um, you know, the social media side might be yeah. a better a better way to to, to invest in that money. I dove, I dove into Snapchat uh, because I'd been seeing a lot of ads for ads on Snapchat and and getting that younger crowd. And uh, I might go back. I got a little gun shy with them because uh, I thought I had everything set up correctly so that they were going to, and I was going to run a very modest budget. I'm still not in sure. a place where I can just throw money all over the place. And so I think I had, I had set it for $30 a day and uh, like 
same day I set it up, I'm waiting for it to prove I'm doing kind of my other stuff. And the next thing I know, it spent $24 in like 30 minutes. And I was like, ah, get me off. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to do. Shut um, it down. Yeah. Yeah. Shut it down. I did. I shut it down immediately. And I went and I started looking at the data and it had served my ad to a bunch of 13 year olds. And I was like, mm. this is not appropriate. And I had yeah. specifically said that mm. I didn't want it to serve that young. I think, I think probably if I would have looked at the fine print, there's probably something similar to you, what you have with Facebook or Pinterest, where it says, you know, I, I might go plus or minus certain amounts in order to, yeah. you know, effectively serve your ad. So you always well, have and to keep also, those just keep in mind, mind. I mean, these platforms are not that old. Uh, and so yeah. the ad platform on the platform is certainly not that old. Facebook is yep. a very mature ad platform yes. now. But yep. there were this, I was doing it from day one when they first came out. And there was really, it was the Wild West. You just threw money and hoped it worked. And that's what Snapchat sounds like it might be. Yeah, uh, yep, Google. Absolutely. You know, we all we want everything to run like the Google AdWords dashboard. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I mean, Google AdWords is great, but they've invested billions into making it great. Exactly. Um, you know, and so and Amazon is somewhat of a uh, an enigma as well because they don't mm-hmm. give you the data that you know they have. Why not? Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably not because they hate us. Probably because it's really really challenging and they haven't figured out the best way and the most efficient way to do that. Amazon's mm-hmm. always looking out for you know number one, which is yeah. them and, and their bottom line it may not be worth the money for them to invest heavily into making the ad platform better. They're yeah. still using it, you know? So all yeah. you have to keep that in mind too, with like Snapchat, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you may be one of a small percentage of the population trying to advertise on Snapchat. There's not enough money for them to make a really good ad dashboard. Yeah. People will just throw money on it and hope for the best. They'll just take that, we'll cash that check all day. If yeah. anyone's listening and wants to throw money at me and hope for the <laughs> best, I will happily take cash your check too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I've got, I mean, I've got a store set up. I can, I can accept square. There's so many ways you can give me money if you so want to. Ways. I make it, yeah, I make absolutely. it easy. I make it easy. I'll be a black uh, box. <laughs> that's right. So uh, we can't not talk about draft to digital based on um, your, your position. So let's, sure. let's take a little pit stop on draft to digital um, for people out there, like the five people who knew nothing about draft to digital, go ahead and tell them what it is. And then um, let's, let's kind of go from there. Yeah, draft to digital is a distribution company and it is exclusively for indie independent authors. So we want to put the power in the hands of the people, right? We want to let you maintain control of your IP, your intellectual property, uh, but also give you the power to distribute to all these stores worldwide without you having to go set up individual accounts at 200 plus websites that are in different languages and then do, you know, VAT tax. For things. You know, we don't, Americans don't have to you know, ever think about that kind of stuff. Um, and it gets to be unwieldy doing tax interviews in you know 40 different countries. Mm. Draft to Digital handles all of that stuff for you with one dashboard, and it's totally free. We take a percentage of royalties. Uh, if you make a sale, we'll take 10 to 15%, depending on the platform. But uh, it, it ends up being a very, very great way to make what I call found money. Um, yeah, you can go, and we actually recommend going directly to Amazon. Don't use Draft to Digital for Amazon because they don't like right. they don't like that. Um, Go directly to Amazon if you want to go directly to the big player. You know, if you're selling really well at Kobo, don't change that. You know, stay there. But we're awesome for catching all of the other stores that you may not even know about. I make, yeah. uh, and I, most of my books are in Kindle Unlimited. I started dabbling in translations of my mm. my main series. I heard thrillers were big in the Netherlands. So I was like, I'm going to translate everything to Dutch. Nice. You know what? Uh, it didn't sell a single copy here in America, <laughs> obviously. <Okay. laughs> but uh, I uploaded to Draft the Digital to go what we call wide. Yeah, uh, not exclusive. And uh, I am making a hundred bucks a month just from Dutch okay. translated copies of my main series. So cool. I call that found money, you know, and yeah. there's people obviously who are very, very successful wide and they're making way more money than that. 
Uh, and so it ends up being a very, you know, a very healthy uh, amount of money that you make and you don't even notice the, the percentage that, that draft individual takes to, to do all the work for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and there, there are definitely people listening to the show who just aren't necessarily super far along. So maybe they don't understand um, that if you list your books in Ingram, you could be available in uh, libraries without even necessarily knowing it. Um, you'd be available in things like Hoopla, uh, where and, and and I call that found money too for Ingram as far as yeah, that goes. Yeah, so it's like absolutely. you you create the listing there, and now it's free, so there's no reason not to. Sounds like that's the same right. with Draft to Digital. You just create the listing, and then you know it, the book finds its way to places. What are some things that you you would say to an author who is new to draft to digital that they should do uh, in order to maximize the amount of found money, or maybe even have like a, an aha moment in their authoring career uh, using draft to digital. First of all, go get an account. It's totally free. There's no reason not to, even if you never upload a book, we don't care. You're not plugging up anything, but making an account with us. And then the second thing is pick up the phone and call our customer support team. Uh, they have business hours, but they're the best people on the planet. Uh, I've met them in person. They're amazing. And they're very, 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 very helpful. Um, they will literally, I mean, we've had joke stories of people, you know, they'll call in, hey, I need help ordering something, you know, for my wife's birthday or whatever. Like, we'll talk people through that kind of stuff. Um, don't yeah. call and do that. That's not a good use of their time. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but they're very helpful. They're, they're very good people. Um, it's, in terms of marketing, that's always the big the big question mark. Because while draft to digital doesn't do marketing, the, the most important aspect of marketing a book is having that book available. And that's, yeah. that's where draft digital comes in, right? So if it's not in the store, no one's going to be able to find it anyway. Uh, and I shouldn't say we don't do anything. We have promotional opportunities that come up. Uh, Megan's artists are putting in for that. Um, places like Apple, a lot of times don't want to work with individual authors uh, or artists yeah. across the board. Uh, they want to work with an aggregator like us. And so they have promos that aren't necessarily exclusive to draft digital, but um, they or largely don't exist for the independent author. So if you're with Draft yeah. Digital, you'll get an email if there's something in your genre that's running, and uh, you can you know click a button and participate in that you know marketing kind of a promotion opportunity. Um, I am the vice president of Draft Digital, and the department I run is called Author Success. Now we don't have any company within that that is focused on marketing yet, but what we what we are doing is building up. Uh, a brand of, of companies that we either purchased or built within draft to digital uh, that help authors with something that they need. Good example is book covers. We just acquired a, an old book cover company and it's pre-made book covers, custom covers, things like that. Uh, it's cool. called selfpubbookcovers.com. I am currently working on rebuilding the whole platform, the whole system, making it work better and be able to be upgraded and changed and all that. Uh, and then the other company is one that I built uh, a while ago called Author Email, which is exactly what it sounds. It's a, kind of a MailChimp sort of thing yeah. for authors exclusively. And we want to offer these things to authors because they need them. And new yeah. authors may not know they need them, but at some point they're going to need a cover. They should be building a mailing list. You know, they should be distributing yeah. their books wide. Um, that's what we that's what we're here to do. And yeah. we're doing it this way. Like Draft Digital never never charged for services before. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. they put me in charge of this kind of silo within cool. the company because we, we didn't want to come across as we're not a vanity press, we're not a hybrid press, right. we're not publishers at all. We're just helping authors with things they need. And yeah. we want to do it in an ethical and affordable way. And that's that's my job. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, that that's really fantastic. The the mail catches my my um, attention because the, the funny thing is I have a, 
I have a decent size email list. I just don't really use it because I'd never know what to to do, you know. And I've I've got sure. like I'm I've, I've got Clavio, but I don't know what to send out. And sure. uh, so that's it. <laughs> I, it's true. I, like you bought my books because of an ad. Um, and I am at a stage in my own author career where, you know, once you bought my books, you bought my books, like you have what I have. And so yeah. like, what do I want to email you about? But I want to keep the relationship going. Um, and I think that there's, there's some really good uses of email to do that and keep a customer warm, keep them remembering that you exist. I think those things are really important. Uh, with the the email thing that's coming up for draft to digital, is that kind of part of it, or what? What would you say is the the focus for the email uh, component? Yeah, well, it is it is out there. It's available now. It's an open beta, is what I like to say, because it it works. I, I built the functionality first. You know, the deliverability, the reputation is the hard part when you build an email server, uh, yeah. which I do not recommend. I wouldn't wish that on my mortal enemy. Uh, do not build an email server; it is a nightmare. Um, but I, I, I built that first and then I, uh, I knew that at some point I would, you know, turn my attention toward making it easier to use, making it uh, a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, prettier, uh, drag and drop interface, all that stuff. Yeah. Then, uh, then draft digital acquired the company. So I became an employee of draft digital running that, um, oh, okay. which, and, 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 and then of course we bought Smashwords and we bought self book covers. So we yeah. haven't had time to invest the dev team sure. on doing those, you know, visual improvements. Yeah. All that to say, um, you can go sign up right now. It's $10 and 99 cents a month. You can send unlimited emails. The list size you can have is, uh, you can have up to 10,000 subscribers on the platform at that level. Uh, And then the next level up is like $29 a month and it's $20 subscribers. So it's, it's very, very affordable, especially when you compare it to uh, MailChimp, MailerLite, uh, Klaviyo, that kind of stuff. Now, I will say MailChimp is a CRM. It's a customer relations management tool, right? right. You bought it for a billion dollars, not because it sends emails, because right. it does a lot more than that. But that's yep. not what most authors need. Klaviyo is a really well integrated with Shopify and Facebook, and it does all sorts of automations yep. and stuff. Um, it's more expensive because some authors don't need that. Um, author email is yep. very, very simple in terms of it sends emails. It does it very well. Reputation is as high as anyone else in the industry. And we do, we have automations. You can certainly set up some flows and things like that. Um, yeah. Autoresponders are part of it. But it's, we wanted to keep it, again, for the author who's like, hey, I know I need an email list. I don't want to pay $300 a month to MailChimp. What do I do? Yeah. Come, come over here, put your list up. And as long as you have 10,000 subscribers or less, which most authors do, there's no feature gating, right? We're not going to prevent you from sending autoresponders like MailChimp does. Um, mm. You can do everything any, any of the big guys can do. But you pay ten bucks a month for it. That's a win. Yeah, that does. I mean, that seems amazing. I, I might, I might be considering something like that because um, I like Clavio. I'm just now. I'm not taking advantage of what actually it exists to do. Absolutely, sure. Um, and and so, it, like, I'm not even using it necessarily to capture more customers that that uh, abandon cart or anything like that. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty yeah. lame when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, so, I guess I want to peek into one area. There may be nothing to talk about here, but I'm curious. Uh, we, I mentioned. Um, physical copies uh, i'm curious about your thoughts on on physical books is it something you focus on um yourself so not talking draft to digital here to, going back to just talking to nick do you focus on on physical copies um if so what what are your thoughts about the biggest bang for your buck so on and so forth uh so physical copies as you said earlier the margin is lower uh yeah. smaller and so it's it's apples to or, apples to apples comparison it's harder to make money with yes. a paperback versus an ebook right that's getting that out of the way um it's not hard to make money with paperbacks when you think of it in terms of this is part of 
an experience I'm creating for the readers. So someone comes to the website, sorry, answer your question. Yes, absolutely. We're focused on paperbacks. I have a publishing house uh, called Conundrum Publishing. We do thrillers only, but it's, you know, we do paperback audio, ebook, same thing. Um, and I run both of these platforms the same way. My personal website and the Conundrum, I, I, there's no reason I would do Shopify over here and WooCommerce over here. Like they're all the same, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when I test on my side, eventually we'll roll out to Conundrum and vice versa. Um, paperbacks sell really well. There's a lot of people who, that that's just their preferred format always has been always yeah. will be until they die. And so it's important that we're marketing to them until they die with more and more paperbacks and things that they want. And people love people who want a paperback. They want the tactile experience. As you said, they want to be sitting in the subway and reading a book and someone asks them what they're reading. They can talk about it. And they also are typically the person who is going to enjoy book adjacent things that we can either sell them mm. or add on to the experience. So simple things are like bookmarks or business card yeah. with you know book cover size uh, shaped business cards that have a QR code for a free book. Um, I do really well with that. If I sell a paperback, now those are things I can add on for free. Yep. I've actually uh, recently, I used Sticker Mule to produce some poly mailers mailers for me that have you know my Thriller logo on it and all that. It's all it's fully wrapped in full color Thriller goodness. Yeah. And so I'm creating this whole experience for authors. I mean, for, uh, sorry, for readers, specifically for paperback readers. But mm -hmm. we can't forget like the way to make money with that just like Steve always always said in the ammo course and any other course you take on direct sales, the money isn't in one book at a time. It's in bundling right. and it's That's in right. upselling. It's in cross-selling. Yeah. It's in thank you page, cart edition, you know, cart abandonment. It's in all that stuff that we do after the fact. And that's, that's no right. different from selling an ebook, selling audio. Uh, yeah. My best seller right now is a, is a six book bundle uh, of ebooks. And of course, the first email they, or the actually in the cart, there's the, uh, the, the, the order bump. You toggle a button and get the, the audiobooks thrown in. And then on the thank you page, you get a couple more if you want them. And then by the time they're, they're through my, my first funnel, uh, first, uh, sorry, sequence, um, you know, they're, they're asked to buy a paperback and then they get to cart and there's an order bump that says, do you want it to, to be signed? Uh, and I found that that's an easy upgrade. If you can sell it as, Hey, I'm not asking for more money because I want to make more profit because of my, my signature is worth something. It costs right. more to ship it to me than I have to ship it to you. So five gotcha. bucks, okay. I'll sign the book for you, you know. And then all of a sudden the, 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 the margins of scale, uh, you know, start to kick in again. And we're yeah. now making as much money per book as we are with an ebook, right? A lot of people who get to check out, if they're going to spend, you know, 15 bucks on a book and, you know, six, seven dollars on shipping. Why not spend five dollars more and get it signed by the author himself? Right. Yeah. Um, that's just psychology. People stop process, process. And then of yeah. course, once they get through that, um, I've got another book I can sell. I've got, you want that paperback? Well, if you buy two more, I'll give you free ship. Yeah. You know? All that, so all that stuff kicks in. Yes, and you kind of a pain to set up, especially if you're not using Shopify or something easy. Um, but it's so worth it because that really is the only way to make money. You yeah. know, if your if your sales ads are are selling at twenty four dollars per per sale, uh, your cost per acquisition is so so high. You can't really make mm -hmm. money unless yeah. you're adding more than that you know, yep. to each the average order value. That's that. That was the conversation I was having with the people over at Pinterest because um, they're 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 really cool. They'll give you a dedicated um, person, salesperson, uh, marketing person from their team if you spend just thirty dollars a day. If you're at the thirty dollar level, which is ridiculously cheap to to get somebody that you can actually reach sure. out to and um, talk things through with. Um, but I was I was saying to them, you know. Uh, Basically, I need to have a cost per acquisition at uh, about $8 or else I cannot make mm. this work over here. So uh, can I get a, a cost per acquisition at $8? And they're like, yeah, I think that's possible. Let's, let's you know, see what we can do. Um, 
so, you know, I'm expecting it to be kind of $10 cost per acquisition if I can really make it work. And then, like you said, uh, get that bump sale for the third book. So I'm going to sell a two book package for $20. I throw in the audiobooks right now for free because I really want people to just feel like, you know, I have to buy this deal. Yeah. Like this is ridiculously yeah. good. And then throw in the third paperback and, uh, you know, get it over the hump. Uh, so that's a nice thing. Well, One of the things I want to talk about cross-selling, you know, like what about... Yeah coffee mugs, t-shirts, pencils, pens, right. all the kind of the knickknacks that come with it. Yeah. Thriller genre, you know, typically these guys, you know, they're getting on a plane, they're going to just read something for a couple hours. They're not going to, they don't want a t-shirt, you know, but there right. are, de- you know, th- there are some things that they do want that I can sell. And mm-hmm. certainly with other genres, uh, it's way easier in fantasy and romance to sell additional items that aren't books at all. Um, you know, think yeah. in terms of like really, really nice handmade bookmarks or something like that, that people would pop for them. Um, they're buying a paperback. So give them the whole experience and then sell it to them. Don't just give it away. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I like what you say. So there's, there's two schools of thoughts in my mind. And one is don't go cheap because you're afraid you're not worth the money. But there's also Mm -hmm. Alex Hermosi going back to him again is give them an offer so good. They'd be stupid to say no. I've really been focusing my mind on that principle lately because when I when I structure anything where I say this is so ridiculously good, you'd be stupid to say no, that changes my confidence level going into it. So yeah. even if I'm yeah. leaving money on the table, it changes who I am as a marketer and a salesman. And so I'm willing to to leave money on the table to get my head where it needs to be to just offer these things. I highly recommend every author listening to this go pick up $100 million offers by uh, yeah. by Alex Ramosi. Um, I just yes. finished. I, I I love books where he like draws the little diagram. I just think yeah. that's so cool that it's a, it's a yes. great way to visualize what he's thinking, and yep. he does that really well. Um, but his his whole point is, and this is where like Brendan Burchard is another guy I follow and listen to in the space. He does a lot of uh, stuff on marketing because he realized he was really good at it, and everybody was asking him for it. But he's yeah. you know motivational speaker and stuff. But he realized this is kind of what Hermosi's teaching is like: don't do it when 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 you hear build an offer so so good they can't they'd be stupid to say no. A lot of us authors go, well, okay, that means I better give three of my books away for free. And I'm saying, and Brendan's saying, and Alex is saying, no, 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 no. Think of what you could sell. Think of the number first. How do I get $1,000 from a reader? That's a crazy number, right? But how do I get $1,000 from one reader? Right. Oh my God. Okay. Well, okay. Well, if books are going to be involved, it better be everything I've got. Okay, cool. That's 40 books. Right. In what yeah. format? Well, let's say ebook format, $1,000. Yeah, it's still not, not quite enough. So you build your offer that way. Start with the yes. number. That, that's a great recommendation. Start with them. Maybe it's not a thousand, maybe it's a hundred, but go yeah. with a thousand. Try it. Just play the game. And sure. okay, so let's say you've got 40 books out in whatever genre you're in uh, and all the cool little kitschy things you usually throw in there. Absolutely do that. Put it in a really fancy box because people love getting stuff in the mail that doesn't have an Amazon smile on it. You know, yeah. like that would be super cool, but that's still not enough. Uh, that's a thousand. That's still a thousand dollars. People are going to feel that, you know, what could I do? Okay. Well, then you start getting crazy. Well, I like drinking beer and I bet a lot of my readers do. Maybe I'll, maybe if they come out to me somewhere in Colorado, I'll drive to somewhere, somewhere in Colorado and have a beer with them, you know, for, for four hours and, and we can outline my next novel together. No, not every reader is going to take you up on that offer. Right. Is that suddenly worth a thousand dollars to somebody? Yeah. You better believe it is. Would you pay a thousand dollars to go sit down with your favorite author living or dead? Absolutely. You would, you know, if you had the money, you know, of course. And right. so when you start thinking in terms of that, like you don't go, well, how do I just make everything free? That that's an offer people would be stupid. Yeah, that's fine. Maybe it is an offer they can't say no to. And you get a big email list of people who don't buy from you, right? Um, yeah. But if you go the other direction and say, I'm going to I'm gonna pick a number, $500. What does a $500 offer look like 
Yeah. And then you build it. And then you say, how do I make this even better? There's so much value packed in that people would be stupid to say no to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think that that's brilliant. I really, really enjoy that perspective. I think that it it works really well. Um, it it causes me to to think about. So one of the things that I'm doing, uh, and and for anybody listening to the podcast right now, you absolutely can go get a free free audiobook by doing this if you're really cheaty. Um, I changed the front material of all of my print books. And this comes out of the fact that I'm diagnosed dyslexic. And so for okay. all of my reading life, um, I've been fine with paperbacks, but I read just as slow as molasses, man. I mean, it's a really slow process. And so sometimes people are like, well, you read 200 books a year. And I'm like, yes, I do. And I spend hours and hours and hours that most people aren't spending reading books because I value it. I love it. It's fun, but I have to just go slow to keep it in my head. Well, then I learned there's this cool hack. If I throw the audiobook in my ears, turn the speed to two and hold the book in my hand, I can zip through like it's a light rail, man. It's it's fast. It's snazzy. It's great. Um, and so I have decided for every reader who buys my, my paperbacks, there's a QR code. If the audiobook's available, there's a QR code that you can go and download it. But what they don't realize is they have to give me their email address. And so I consider that to be kind of a win. If you buy my book in a bookstore right now, you could get the free audiobook. Now I have your contact information. If you buy it off of Amazon, you want the audiobook. Now I have your contact information. It's a really big win-win for me. Yeah, I spent four grand to get each one recorded by a really great voice. But uh, that's an investment, though. Long term, it's a huge win. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully people out there just are getting their 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 brain stimulated to try things because Nick, I feel like we could probably talk for another four hours if my dog didn't keep barking anyways. And uh, you know, oh, you, I, I just, typically talk too much anyway. Yeah. I want to, you know, I didn't even get to pick your brain about stuff that you've experienced and, and learned as well over the years. Gosh. But I'm I'm hoping that uh, we get to do this again sometime too. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. It'd be really fun. Thank you for giving me an hour of your time. Um, for people who want to connect with you right now, uh, what's the best way to to get on a list of yours or get in touch with you? Well, um, I'm sure you will get uh, invasive pop-ups if you go to my website. That'll get you right on my list pretty quick. Uh, NickThacker.com <laughs> is where that lives. And that's a good place uh, to find out anything else that is uh, related to anything we talked about. I've got on the homepage, there's a bunch of links that go elsewhere around the interwebs. Uh, whether it's draft digital or conundrum publishing, whatever the stuff we mentioned, it's all it's all right there. That's probably the best way. I'm imminently findable. Uh, you're on social media. I'm probably around somewhere. I typically use Facebook for most interactions. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to connect with anyone. I do a lot of, uh, like I said, nonfiction stuff as well. Um, a lot of that I run through a Facebook group too. So yeah, I'd love to have um, anyone interested in kind of hanging out and, and learning more about the book career stuff. Uh, I talk about that quite a bit. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. It was really great talking to you and uh, nice to meet you. You too, man. Thanks for your time. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers, because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? 